Welcome to the podcast series for the Journal of Neurophysiology. I'm Bill Yates, the Editor-in-Chief of the Journal, and today we will be discussing the article, Test of Absorption and Olfactory Fovea Hypothesis in the Mouse. This article was chosen for November's APS Select, a collection of the very best original research published by the American Physiological Society. Before we begin, let's meet our guests. Hi, my name is David Coppola. I'm a professor of biology at Randolph-Macon College in Ashland, Virginia, and my interests have been in the development and plasticity of sensory systems, with most of my work focusing on vision and, more recently, olfaction. Please give us a brief description of the role of the olfactory epithelium. Well, the olfactory epithelium is one of several specialized epithelium for receiving stimuli from the outside world. It's about a dime-sized piece of tissue in humans, and its size varies with other animals with more sophisticated senses of smell. It contains in the mouse, the subject of my work, roughly a thousand different types of receptor molecules that are arrayed in millions of different cells, and uh, it forms the basis of our sense of smell in being the first step transducing odors into electrical signals that are then sent to the brain. What are the sorption and fovea hypotheses of receptor distribution? Well, the sorption hypothesis is really a quite old idea that dates back to an English lord and Nobel Prize winner, Edgar Adrian, who was trying to make an analogy with the other sensory systems in postulating that olfaction, like vision and the auditory system and somatosensory system, may have a spatial component in that what the brain might be paying attention to is the pattern of responses across the olfactory receptor sheet or olfactory epithelium rather than uh, some kind of a labeled line system. As you probably have experienced in your own careers, old ideas die hard, and this one's been around a long time, and there's some evidence for it, but we would argue that the critical evidence has never been provided, and the idea there would be The sorption hypothesis has it that the spatial pattern of stimulation across the mucosa is a function of the solubility, that the spatial pattern across the mucosa of odors is based on their water solubility. So to put this simply, water-soluble odorants would get absorbed in upstream parts of the olfactory mucosa, and less soluble substances would be absorbed farther downstream in the mucosa. And this separation would be something akin to what happens in a chromatograph, where uh, you get separation of odors based on their interaction between the moving phase and stationary phase. So one idea that this requires, or one tenet of this, is that there has to be different responsivity in the olfactory receptors at different locations in the mucosa, and that this differential responsivity should correlate with how a particular chemical will distribute itself based on water solubility across the mucosa. That's the sorption idea, basically that the nose works like a chromatograph. The phobia idea is related, and what it says is, okay, if there is differential distribution of receptors across the mucosa based on water solubility, then an animal could potentially direct different molecules to different places on the olfactory epithelium based on its sniffing pattern. So put simply, if you'd sniff very hard for water-soluble substances to try to get it farther back in the mucosa, and you would sniff more slowly for water-insoluble or volatile substances because they distribute themselves more evenly across the mucosa and need more dwell time 
in the mucosa. So they're related, but different. One is the analogy between the mucosa and a chromatograph. The other suggests an analogy between something like the retina and the olfactory epithelium in that you need differential sensitivity. And then like saccades happen in the visual system, moving the high sensitivity part of the retina around to particular places in the visual scene. The analogy is that the animal could potentially, through sniffing, move molecules to the places in the olfactory epithelium where they have the greatest sensitivity. Tell us about the techniques you use to investigate these hypotheses. Well, this was a perfect marriage, in my view, between empirical studies and modeling. So on our side, we use the electro-olfactogram, an ensemble recording from the surface of the olfactory mucosa that dates back to the 1930s. It was more thoroughly described by Otison in 56, who suggested it was the negative going electric generator potential of olfactory receptor neurons. So you can put a crude glass electrode on the surface and you can measure this uh, negative going potential in response to odor stimulation. This is an old technique, but it's still a good technique, an oldie but a goodie, I might say, in that it's the only way, even currently, that you can sample the entire olfactory epithelial sheet. Imaging from the bulb, single unit recordings, they all have different problems associated with them. So this is a straightforward way to map, if you will, the responses of the olfactory epithelium, and it is what we use exclusively to do this in our particular study. Now, the marriage part was that the sorption hypothesis requires, to be confirmed, there has to be a relationship between the spatial pattern in the olfactory epithelium with the sorption pattern, with the solubility pattern, or how odors get stuck across the sheet during inspiration. Unfortunately, there is no practical way to measure directly how odors array themselves or their sorption pattern on the mucosa. So we have to do that through simulation. And that's where our collaborator, Brent Craven, came in currently with the Food and Drug Administration, who's really an expert on computational fluid dynamics. Fancy computer algorithms that allow us to simulate how odors flow through the nasal cavity and their pattern absorption on the nasal cavity. So we combined EOGs, as they're called, electro-olfactograms, EOGs, an old tool with a relatively new and sophisticated tool, the computational fluid dynamics simulation mechanism. What were your findings? Well, we did a series of experiments, and in our first experiment, we used a relatively large number of odors and a small number of recording locations in the mucosa. And uh, the odors we chose were at the extremes of solubility to test the absorption hypothesis. So we used 10 highly soluble odors and 10 insoluble odors at one location in what I'm going to call for simplicity the center of the nasal cavity and two locations in the periphery of the nasal cavity. The center is upstream in the airflow and the periphery, as may be obvious, is downstream in the airflow. So the prediction of the sorption hypothesis would be that water-soluble substances should give greater responses upstream than downstream, and water-insoluble, that is to say volatile substances, should give greater responses downstream than upstream. And uh, that's, in fact, what we found, or at least the first part is what we found. The majority of water-soluble substances that we tested 
gave greater responses centrally than peripherally consistent with the sorption hypothesis, or at least the first part of it. However, we didn't find any difference in spatial specificity for the insoluble or volatile substances. So at least half of the idea was supported. However, that study only used three locations, one centrally and two peripherally. So life is short. You can do a large number of odors and small number of locations, or you can use a large number of recording locations and a small number of odors, but you can't do both. And so in our second experiment, we chose a few odors that were representative of highly soluble, medium soluble, and highly insoluble or highly volatile odors. And we recorded at many locations in the olfactory epithelium at set points that we have previously used. To put it differently, we mapped out the responses across a great swath of the olfactory epithelium. And in that study, we could also compare our response map to the sorption pattern through Brent's simulations. And uh, the first thing I should mention is we saw dramatic spatial differences in response patterns. In other words, there is a map, and that map tends to be large responses toward the rostral end of the mucosa and lower responses toward the caudal side of the mucosa. However, those patterns, though marked, did not correlate with the sorption patterns from Brent's simulations. In other words, that tendency for there to be large responses rostrally and small responses caudally could be paired with a sorption pattern which was completely opposite or had no relationship whatsoever. So this part of the study, which really crucially tests the two aspects of the sorption hypothesis, suggests that it really was wanting and uh, could hardly be applicable at least at a local level in the olfactory mucosa. Concerning the foveal hypothesis, there were two important findings from our study. One was that the pattern of odor movements through the nasal cavity shown by Brent's simulations were much more complicated than had been previously known and were not really consistent with directing sniffs to a particular part of the nasal cavity. We also found that all odors were more concentrated when a mouse sniffed. So an animal encountering a novel odor would be wise to sniff no matter the water solubility of that odor because it would get more odor molecules of all sorption types into the nasal cavity. So both of these suggest that the phobia hypothesis really couldn't work. What are the implications and next steps of this work? Well, you know, the idea that an old hypothesis is false is not exactly a bumper sticker. However, the truth is not always elegant. So we are partly trying to prove a negative here, and that's never fun. But we have two things to do moving forward. One is to test more rigorously the relationship between olfactory receptor layout and how odors move through the nasal cavity. We've done that using old data and assuming where these boundaries of olfactory receptors are. You know, there are a thousand different receptors and they lay themselves out in basically a central to peripheral pattern. Any given receptor is only arrayed across about a quarter of the olfactory epithelial sheet. And so we'd like to understand better 
how these particular olfactory receptors are laid out and whether they really do obey this pattern of odors we can see from simulations. Our current data, based on other people's published distribution patterns, suggest they don't. But it's incumbent upon us now to make those receptor-by-receptor comparisons. So that's one aspect of what we're going to do. I think also there is currently no good explanation for why we find this consistent rostral larger to caudal smaller response gradient. It's not consistent with sorption, the only widely debated scheme for how the olfactory epithelium is patterned. And it's pretty astounding in 2017, decades since we understood the retina and the cochlea and somatosensory maps, that we really don't understand the olfactory epithelial map at all. And so uh, I guess the other implication and interest going forward is trying to understand this map. What is the functional significance, if any, of this pattern of large responses rosterally and smaller responses caudally? And in our paper, we must conclude that this may be an evolutionary contingent state. Again, not exactly a bumper sticker, but it may be the reality that what happened is that early on in evolution, there was a uh, formation of receptors in the center of the nasal cavity that were responsive to water-soluble substances consistent with others' demonstration that the central region tends to respond to water-soluble substances. And as animals move further and further away from water into more xeric environments, they evolved a larger nasal cavity peripherally that was more responsive to water-insoluble or volatile substances consistent with adaptations necessary in dry environments. So this just may be the history of the nasal cavity that we're seeing rather than uh, any deep significance having to do with function like we see in the retina or cochlea or even in the somatosensory system. I would like to acknowledge the inspired assistance on this project of one of my former undergraduate students, Miss Brittany Ritchie, whose tireless work and singular insights added immeasurably to the final outcome. I'd like to thank our guests for participating in a discussion of the article, Test of the Sorption and Olfactory Fovea Hypothesis in the Mouse, part of the podcast series for the Journal of Neurophysiology. 